But here we are on the seventh day. Let's read it. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of God. Be seated. Let's pray. Lord, as we look to your word this morning, and we see you at rest, help us to understand what that means. Help us to understand what that means, not just in Genesis, but in light of Christ. And in light of Christ, one day return for us. Lord, above all, help us to rest in Christ, for to our rest in you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, here we are. God has created all that is. He has totally provided for all that is. His work in creation is finished. And so humanity now, remember that was the the point, the building point of those first six days. Humanity, the crown of creation, has all that they need to pick up that scepter, the rod, and rule and subdue and fill the earth. And that's what is summarized here in verse 1. Thus the heavens and earth were finished and all their host. The host is all of the, the filling Uh, beings of each of those realms of creation. The state of finishing is God's total provision. Everything is from God. God has filled it all. He has has given the hosts all that they need. And so here we are in verse 2, and we're just going to look at verses 2 and 3 today. Let me read that again. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, what's it? The seventh day, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So if, if there has been a time yet in Genesis where you're looking for repeated words and phrases, this is one of those times. There are two major repeated phrases we see here. The first repeated phrase is God's work. We see that three times. God finished his work. He rested from his work. He rested from his work. Don't miss it. What's the big idea here? Creation is God's work. That's the point of Genesis 1, and it is summarized here at the beginning of Genesis 2, in case you missed it. The second repeated word or phrase, and I'm skipping a little bit ahead here, Mitchell, the second repeated word phrase is the seventh day. We see the seventh day three times. So we saw God's work three times. We see the seventh day three times. And the way that it appears is sort of a a poetic structure. So you probably got that sense as we were reading it, right? It, It seems like this is poetry, and it is. It's more poetic in Hebrew than it is in English. But there is still repetition. There is still rearranging, so we all get the main point. God rests on the seventh day. And then here in the middle, God blesses the seventh day, makes it holy. And then the, the closed parentheses, God rested on the seventh day. You see it? Seventh day, seventh day, seventh day. Rest, blessing, rest. 
the, the blessing of the seventh day, making it holy, is, is the, the second, uh, we'll call this the peak of the creation narrative, right? So throughout the seventh days of creation, there's all these major storylines that, that are introduced that will flow throughout the rest of Scripture. Two of those really big storylines happen on, or begin on day six and day seven. On day six, creation receives her king and queen. And the king and queen are to fill the earth with the image of God and subdue the earth for the glory of God and have dominion over the earth and service to God. And humanity receives a blessing to do that. God blessed them. Well, day seven, in comparison, is the blessed of the days. So humanity, the, the blessing of creation, day seven the blessed of the days. It is the set apart of the days. It is the holy day, God says. It is the day that all of the other days were leading up to. Why? Because on it, God rested from his work. Now, I told you last Sunday that I would tell you what I believe about the length of these days. Well, here we go. God created light and separated it from the dark and called the light day and the dark he called night, right? Remember that from, from Sermon 2, uh, the first day of creation. God's first act of creation, even before a day was a day, was to create a framework for how we would understand the passage of time. And the framework that God made, the most fundamental element of time so that we could understand what he is doing here is the day. So what is a day? Do we define that or does God define it? God defined it and he told us what a day is. He said, the day is that period in which there is light. He called the light day. And by the time you get to day four, when he creates the sun and the moon and the stars to separate the day and the night for him in service to him, and they also mark as signs for days, months, seasons, and years, well, the definition of the day has not changed. It's still that period in which there is light. That was true on day one. That is true on day four. That is true on day six. God defines a day on day one, and he defines a week on day seven. And that, when you read this and you see that the way that, that, that Genesis 1 climaxes in the seventh day, you see all of this building up to that day seven, you see that that is so much a part of the text that from here on out throughout the Bible, it will echo through the scriptures. Seven days, seven days, seven days. God could have created the heavens and the earth and all their hosts in one day, right? Yes. He could have done it in less than a day. He could have done it in the blink of an eye. In one moment, he could have spoken everything that is into existence. In fact, when you, when you look at church history and you go back to the third century, the issue for Christians was not, the earth appears to be very old, therefore these days must represent longer periods. Rather, their question was, if God is so powerful, why did it take him six days? Right? If God is God, if he's perfect in being, 
Why would a simple task take so long? Well, the answer that those Christians discovered in Scripture applies to us as well. It's the same thing that you and I are seeing. Genesis 1 is about more than creation. The main emphasis is that God is revealing how humanity relates to God. We know our, our role in creation because of Genesis 1. And we know that, Lord, that the God is Lord over all, and we know that we are accountable to him because of Genesis 1. The reason God chose to create in six days and rest on the seventh day, that was his choice, is so that we would have a pattern with which to live out our responsibility and our role in service to him. That creation pattern that God's given us is a seven-day week. He could have created in an instant. He could have created in six hours or six years or 6,000 years. But in his wisdom, he chose to create in six days. And on the seventh, in order to establish a pattern for us, he rested. So, yes, I believe that the days are days. But this seventh day, let's keep going now. That answers your question. Let's keep going. The seventh day we see here in our text is more than that. It's more than just the last day of the week. It's more than just the definition of a week. After all, I want you to look again at the text. Do you notice something missing here? There's no ending to the seventh day. All of the other days of the week have this postscript. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day, all the way to the sixth day, but it's not here. It's not on the seventh day. There's no evening. It just is. And the implication here is that God's rest is ongoing. And, and in the day of God's rest, it is always day. The day never ends. The light never ends. And so the seventh day isn't just a pattern for humanity that we build our work weeks after. It also gives us something to look forward to. God's day of rest projects that, that seventh day, the first seventh day, God's day of rest projects forward to a future day for us when we will finish our work of filling and subduing and having dominion, and we will enter into God's rest, like we read in Hebrews. When that day comes, the seventh day will have served its purpose. God has already entered into his rest. That day is future for us. It's something we're looking forward to. We find that eternal day described for us in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 23. And the city, that eternal heavenly city, the place of God's rest, it has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. 
Now that last part, the gates will never be shut by day, that's there. It sounds kind of strange to us, but if you look at the Old Testament, the day that the gates were opened was the Sabbath day. And so that day, when the gates will never shut, is the eternal Sabbath day. It is the day when there is always light. It is the day that never ends. It is the day that began on day seven of creation that God entered into that we look forward to. So, this is Revelation here. This is telling us about God's eternal Sabbath, the eternal rest of God. We look forward to entering that. But in the meantime, we're studying Genesis 2, right? So, so we have Genesis 2, then we have Revelation 21, and there's a whole lot of redemptive history in between those two chapters of Scripture. So with, what we're, with our time today, what I want us to look at is this idea uh, that's introduced for us here in Genesis 2 of the Sabbath day. And what we're going to do is trace it through Scripture all the way to the last eternal Sabbath and revelation, and what I want us to ask is how should we think about this day? How should we think about this day, the seventh day of creation, that God created specifically for rest? Well, the first time that we see this day come up again in the Scriptures is not in Genesis. It's not until the Exodus. And it's even before God redeems his people out of Egypt What's happening is, is Moses has gone to try to, uh, in obedience to God, rescue the people from, from Egypt. Moses and Aaron go up to Pharaoh, and they're negotiating with Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out from Egypt for three days so that they can worship the Lord. And look what Pharaoh's response is. Pharaoh's response is that it wouldn't be right for the people to go out and rest from their burdens. Exodus 5.5. 5. Look at it. Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. That word in Hebrew is Sabbath. So right from the get-go, even though this isn't a seventh-day issue, there is a connection between worship of the Lord and resting from our burdens. So hold on to that, because that comes up again and again and again. Fast forward into Exodus 16. So from Exodus 5, we go to Exodus 16. By this point, God has redeemed his people out of Egypt, and he brings them into the wilderness, and he provides for them there in the wilderness. He brings manna from heaven, and every day the people are to gather up only enough manna to eat for that day. They are to trust that God will provide the next day. This is all an exercise and trusting the Lord. If they gather too much, it will rot. The worms will eat it. So, so every day, God brings forth the manna. Then on the sixth day, the sixth day is special, they're to gather a double portion of manna, and that portion will not rot on the seventh day. The seventh day, they are to rest, and they'll have the sixth day's food to eat. Look what Exodus 16, verse 22 says. On the sixth day... They gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told, Moses, uh, and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. 
So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Surprise. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you keep my commandments and my laws? Will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So what's the idea here? God is provider. Don't miss it. You do not provide for yourself. God provides for you. He is trustworthy every day. He will provide food for you every day. And he will also provide rest. Look carefully at verse 29. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's a blessing. It's a gift from God to God's people. Jesus echoes this later on when he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus was teaching even there that the Sabbath is a gift to humanity. Right? God didn't need the rest. God doesn't actually rest. He doesn't get tired. Nor does he work. He is infinitely powerful. So God created the seven-day week for us. He made a holy day for us so that we could respond to him. Well, as we keep going in Exodus, Israel makes their way from there, the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And there on Mount Sinai, God gives Moses the law to give to the people. And the fourth commandment of the law echoes the Sabbath day. Look at the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Notice that word. This is the only time you see remember in the Ten Commandments. Why are they to remember the Sabbath day? Because it's a day that's already happened. Right? It is the seventh day, was the seventh day of creation. The day that God blessed and he gave to all humanity as a day of rest. So God's people are to remember that day as a gift and observe it as a holy day to the Lord. And the way that they're to do that is to mimic that day, to pattern their week after that day. So for Israel in the wilderness, back in chapter 16, it was also a day of thanksgiving for the Lord's provision. They were to remember God's provision of manna. So they're remembering the old Sabbath day, the first one, and they're also remembering the one that they had manna to eat on all the time. So keep going in Exodus. Chapter 31, God repeats this command, but he adds something clarifying to it. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. And here, here's, here's the sign. Here's what it means. This is what it signifies that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. See that? The Lord sanctifies his people. And Sabbath is a sign for that. And he keeps going, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. 
Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Go fast forward to verse 17. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. That in the six days, in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Did you see the penalty for that? I kind of read through it. Profaning the Sabbath, that means treating the Sabbath as an ordinary day, was punishable by death. Why? What's so important about a day? What's so important about this day? Well, God says it was a sign of the covenant between him and his people. His people were to know and remember that God has set them apart. God has sanctified them. That means they are to remember that God has made them his holy people. And they are to remember this every day, but particularly on that day, the Sabbath day. The day that God blessed. The day that God made holy for them. And gave to them as a gift of rest and to celebrate his provision. And notice that last bit. It is a sign forever. Hold on to that. Okay, so let's just summarize what we've seen. Written into creation, back in Genesis 2, we saw written into creation is the fact that the Sabbath day is a blessed and it is a holy day of rest that points us forward to eternal rest. Okay, that was Genesis 2. In in Exodus 5, we saw there's a connection between Sabbath rest and worship. In Exodus 16, we, we find that this is a day to rest and trust in the Lord's provision. Go to Exodus 20, and we found that it's a day to rest and remember that the Lord rested. And then finally, in Exodus 31, we were to see that God has redeemed a particular people, the Israelites. He didn't redeem any of the other nations of the world. He chose them. He redeemed a particular people, and that particular people were to observe the seventh day as a sign that they are God's people. That was Exodus 31. Now, you work your way through the rest of the Old Testament, you're going to see lots and lots and lots more rules and laws about the Sabbath. You'll find uh, laws about how to observe the Sabbath. You'll find that there's a Sabbath year. The seventh year is the Sabbath year. You're supposed to let the land rest in that year. You'll also find that there is a seventh, seventh year called Jubilee, and the land kind of goes back to where it started during that year. The land goes back to those who originally inherited it. Slaves are set free. Everything is, is back to square one. It's a reset of the nation. There's all these laws about how to keep the Sabbath and what to do if this happens on the Sabbath and what you're allowed to do on the Sabbath, what you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath. You see all of that throughout the Old Testament. All of those laws, though, go back to those principles that we looked at. Remembering the Lord's provision. Remembering the Lord's redemption. To break the Sabbath for God's people or to not observe the Sabbath for God's people, whether that would be the days, Sabbath days or the Sabbath years or the seventh, seventh, jubilee, any way that they didn't observe what God had given them to observe was to essentially say, I'm my own. We are our own people, Lord. We don't belong to you. Because remember, it was a sign that they belonged to them. So if they broke it, then it was saying, we don't belong to you. It is to say, I don't belong to God. He did not redeem me. Isaiah summarizes the whole 
theology of Sabbath for us in Isaiah 58. And he teaches it this way. He says, to observe the Sabbath is to delight in the Lord and to delight in belonging to the Lord. To profane the Sabbath is to say, I do not belong to the Lord. Look at what he says. He says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. You see, there's a call for repentance because they had not been keeping Sabbath. A call to turn back from seeking your own pleasure, from being your own savior, from being your own king, and turn to the Lord Acknowledge the day that he has given you as a day of rest, as a gift to you. Delight in him, delight in belonging to him. That's basically the Old Testament theology of the Sabbath. It's written into creation. After God makes Israel and makes them his people, after he redeems them from Egypt, they are to observe that day that was written into creation Because it is to remind them they are his people. They've been redeemed. They're his special people who honor the special day that he created for humanity. They're the ideal humanity, as it were. All right, that's the Old Testament. What changes with Christ? We're Christians, right? So here we are. Today is the first day of the week. Today's Sunday. It's not Saturday. And we're not looking around for who's not here to stone tomorrow. At least I'm not. (laughs) So what's changed? What's different now? Well, Well, let's just look at the Gospels real quickly. All four Gospels give us a few cases of Jesus not doing Sabbath the way that the rest of the Jews were doing Sabbath. Okay, two of those events in particular stand out to us. In one of the events, we find it in Mark chapter 2. Jesus uh, works on the Sabbath, and there's no way around it. That's what he was doing. He worked on the Sabbath because he picked grain from the fields to eat it. You're not supposed to do that. And and he's accused of Sabbath breaking uh, because that is a clear violation of of what everyone around him understood the Sabbath laws to to be. be. He's accused of breaking Sabbath, and, and then Jesus wants compares himself to King David, of all people, who ate bread in the temple, which was something that the priests were not even allowed to do. So Jesus is is showing, hey, there are some special um, circumstances and special privileges that I have. And then he goes on to say he's greater than King David. And then he goes even further and says he's Lord of the Sabbath. And this is Really shocking for everyone. Well, you go to our second major violation, and this one is uh, in John chapter 5. So that first one was Mark chapter 2. This one is in John chapter 5. Jesus goes down uh, to to heal a, a lame man. And Jesus went to him intentionally. You, the way that you read John 5 is it's, it's very clear that John wants us to see that Jesus went intentionally on the Sabbath. He could have done the day before. But he chose to wait until the Sabbath day to heal this man, to make a point. 
And the point is something that Jesus wanted the people to see about himself, who he is, and also about Sabbath and what its purpose is. And, and so he heals the man, they question him, and then he goes into this, this, uh, this monologue, this teaching time. And he teaches there in John 5 that the reason for the Sabbath rest is that it points forward to the ultimate Sabbath, the final Sabbath. And on that day, there will be true healing in Christ. On that day, we will receive altogether new bodies. There will be no more cancers on that day. There will be no more lame on that day. There will be no more strokes, no more viruses. And that coming day is the resurrection. It's interesting. Jesus heals someone and then he points forward to the resurrection. On the day of resurrection, Christ will return to earth because he's the Lord. He will return to earth and he will call all of his people out of the grave and everyone else as well. Some will be called to everlasting life where we will enter into God's rest, the Lord's Sabbath. Some go to judgment and the Lord's wrath. So let me just summarize what Jesus taught about Sabbath in the Gospels. One, Jesus has special Sabbath privileges because he is the promised high priest, the promised Messiah King. Two, he is also the Lord of the Sabbath because he's God. He created the Sabbath. Three, he is the bringer of the final Sabbath, the final rest that comes at the resurrection. All right, so that's all we get, which is a lot, but that's what we get from the Gospels. Because things are still not clear by the time you get to the early church, there has to be some writing from the apostles. And so we look now to the epistles. And the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, it seems that there is still some confusion over how to observe the Sabbath or whether or not to observe the Sabbath at all. All right, so there are Jews. We see this in the book of Acts. Paul is still observing the Sabbath in the book of Acts. There are Jews who are in every town still observing a seventh-day Sabbath. And they're keeping the Sabbath in accordance with the law. But there are Gentiles who have come to Christ. And when I talk about those Jews, those are Christian Jews. They've come to Christ. They've acknowledged Jesus is king. He's died for their sins. They're in Christ, and yet they're still observing Sabbath. And then there are Gentiles who never observe Sabbath at all in their lives. And they're confused about it because they're being told that Christ fulfills the law. And that's why they're able to be Christians but they're also being told by some people that their salvation depends on keeping the Sabbath. Look at Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17. This is Paul's encouragement to the church in Colossae. Therefore, no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or... A Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So what isn't, what isn't made explicit for us in the Gospels is clarified for us in the epistles. This is why we need the whole Bible. What Paul is saying here is that the food laws that the Jews observed go back and read Leviticus and you see all these laws about food, all of that pointed forward to Christ. And the festivals 
that the Jews observed. That all pointed forward to Christ. Even the Sabbath pointed forward to Christ. In the Old Covenant, God's people observed Sabbath because it was the covenant sign. Right? God commanded that they do that. It was the sign that showed we as a people have been redeemed from Egypt by God and we are now his people. But do you remember from our study in Matthew? Christ's redemption is a new and better redemption than the exodus from Egypt. In fact, we saw in Matthew's gospel, you see it in all the gospels, Christ's work on the cross is the redemption that the exodus was pointing forward to. Well, since the the new redemption surpasses the old, it's better than the old, well, the sign of the old redemption also passes away. The sign was a shadow. The substance remains. Christ remains. The covenant sign is fulfilled in Christ. And and so in that sense, we can still say the covenant sign remains forever, right? Because Christ is forever. So, So Jesus fulfills the covenant sign of the Sabbath, especially what we see there in in, in Israel's wanderings and entrance into uh, the promised land. And yet, in what sense does he fulfill the rest? Because the rest goes back to Genesis 2. Are you with me? This part gets a little confusing. All right. So remember, the Sabbath rest was built into creation. We saw that in our text. That's the point of Genesis 2. That's the point of our text. Sabbath is written into creation itself. God blessed the day. He made it holy. Israel picked up on that later on. That's been fulfilled in Christ. But what about that day? Well, remember this. The original Sabbath, the seventh day of creation, the Genesis 2, 2 through 3, points us forward. It was meant to point us forward to the ultimate Sabbath, the final Sabbath. A final day of rest is coming for humanity. God is already there in that rest. His day of rest never ended. There was no evening. There was and is no darkness for him. That day is still to come for us. And so you would say, right, so we should observe Sabbath. Hold on a minute. What did we read in Hebrews? Hebrews 4.10. Whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. From his. If you read Hebrews, you find that that whoever is Jesus. The person is Jesus. He is the whoever who has entered into God's rest. Jesus has entered into God's rest, and he's the only one who has entered into God's rest. Only Jesus, through his resurrection has entered into the holy of holies, into the presence of God. That's the point of the whole book of Hebrews. Jesus died in perfect obedience to God. He was raised by God. Then he ascended into the presence of God. And our identity is with him. So already, God has entered into that rest. And Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Messiah, he has entered into that rest. And he is the man 
And I mean that capital M. He is the man, the king, that day six of creation last week, yesterday, <laughs> that day six was anticipating. All right, so remember in day six, there was, there was this one who was supposed to have dominion over all of creation. Jesus proved himself to be that one. And then he entered into the seventh day. He entered into God's rest. He has glorified God by being the perfect image bearer, and he has entered into God's rest. So the purpose of Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, has been fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, for anyone after Christ, anyone who is a child of God, who's been adopted into the family of God through Christ, anyone after Christ's resurrection... The seventh day is no longer observed as a day of rest because our rest is not in that day. Our rest is in Christ. The seventh day was a shadow. Jesus is the substance. That means in one sense, for those of us who are in in Christ, in union with Christ, we're at rest in Christ. And, and we've already entered into God's rest, in one sense, right? Because we're resting from our works. We don't have to earn that. Christ has accomplished our salvation. Christ is the, 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 the final Adam, the second Adam. He is the one who is our provider. We are sanctified in him. So in Christ, we are already in God's rest. But in another sense, so already, not yet, in another sense, we have not entered into God's rest. Because Jesus has not returned. He has not raised us from the dead. We still live in a day of day and night. Light and darkness. Sickness and death. We now are not yet experiencing that Revelation 21 reality, are we? That's why Hebrews says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What what he's saying there is that that ultimate Sabbath rest, it remains, it's ahead of us. It's future. That Sabbath rest is in the resurrection, the day of Christ's return. We look forward to that day. But we look forward to that day differently than the Jews did. We look forward by celebrating that Christ, our King, and our representative is already there. And that the Spirit in us secures us for that day. And that leads us to Sunday, the first day of the week. We gather together on the first day of the week every week because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. And so we commemorate his resurrection Every Sunday, what we call the Lord's Day, because that was the day that he proved to be the first fruits of the resurrection that is to come. And that resurrection is, what, remember? The Sabbath rest, the eternal rest, the final rest. So we gather together on the day of the Lord's resurrection, and we worship the Lord looking forward to our resurrection, the true Sabbath. So the Sabbath remains, but it's ahead of us. 
For the Christian, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday. In fact, you may not know this, but if you go back in history just 150 years or so, some even less, Baptists, especially Southern Baptists, that's us, did not recognize Easter as a special day. Didn't celebrate it. Certainly didn't do Easter egg hunts. Certainly didn't set it apart as a different day than any other Sunday. Why not? Because every Sunday was a day when we celebrated Christ's resurrection. Now, we've softened a little bit, okay? We're not quite as Puritan as we once were. We have softened a little bit on that position, and I'm okay with that. But unfortunately, it's what I'm not okay with. We've also softened on the significance of the Lord's Day. See, the, the gathering of the body of Christ is not less important than the Sabbath-keeping of the Old Covenant. It's more important. It is more anticipatory. It is more hopeful. The substance is more substantial than a shadow. Okay? The, the Lord's Day in which we fellowship together as Christ's body is not less weighty than the Sabbath. It is more weighty. There's more gravitas to it. Why? Because we're closer to the final Sabbath. Sometimes, and I, I don't think we do this on purpose. I think it's just a misunderstanding. Sometimes we cheapen Christianity to something like this. That this sounds familiar to you, um, repent. So here, here is, here is the, the SoCal Christianity sometimes. When Jesus came to earth and died on the cross, he helped God to chill out. Now that God is less serious and more loving, we don't have to follow any of those old strict rules. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> That's not Christianity. Actually, that's heresy. We know that, right? When you hear it put that way, you go, okay, that's not right. But sometimes we live that way, don't we? The Christian message is that Jesus the Son reveals the true nature of God to us. In Christ, we see what, what all that God had orchestrated in the Old Testament was culminating in with the arrival of Christ. It all was pointing forward to Christ. So don't think in terms of before Jesus equals more rules and after Jesus equals fewer rules. Those rules, those laws, including the laws about Sabbath keeping, they were meant to make Israel distinct from the nations. Jesus, the true Israel, he was perfectly distinct perfectly holy, perfectly obedient, all the way to death on a cross for you and me. And so he was raised from the dead, and he, as our Messiah, ascended into Christ's presence and now reigns with God. And, and friends, by, by faith, we're united to him. And because we have his spirit, our greatest purpose is to delight in him and to worship him. That's what he's accomplished. So in Christ, 
We don't think of Sunday as a task. It's not, it's not like a law that we're guilty of violating whenever we do Sunday wrong. The Sunday gathering of God's people, we need to change our minds completely about the gospel. The Sunday gathering of God's people is participation with the Spirit of God in the presence of God. Hebrews 10.22, because of Christ's work for us, we draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our, our gathering is a participation in and a foreshadowing of eternity. Sunday is the day that the church, the body of Christ, has always gathered to worship the Lord. And in our worship, go back to Exodus 5, we rest. In our worship, we rest in Christ. We rest from our labors. We rest from our works. We fellowship together in Christ. We hear from the Lord in his word, and he says to us, Come, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. We sing to the Lord and to one another, and we encourage one another as we look forward to the Sabbath that is to come. We pray to the Lord together, asking the Lord to help us to be satisfied in Christ, to rest in Christ, to trust in Christ for provision. That's why the Lord's Day is important. And so we should anticipate the Lord's Day. It is the highlight of the Christian week. Because it is the day that we rest in Christ. And we look back at his victory over sin and death. And we look forward to our eternity with him. So let's just talk practically. How do we anticipate that day? this Lord's Day. Now, well, prepare. Look forward to it. Prepare for the Lord's Day. Work your weekly schedule around Sundays. You're like, well, that's easy for you. It's like your job. Yeah, it is. And it does make it easier. All right? But just some practical things. Go to bed earlier on Saturday. If you're staying up till 2 a.m. on Saturday night, Sunday is going to be hard for you. It just is. If you have kids... You get up earlier on Sunday. I promise you this will help. Get up earlier so you're not rushing around, you're not panicking, and then Sunday becomes a task, right? If you're rushing around and you're panicking, Sunday's a task. It's, it's something to, to control. Rather, let it be a day of rest. So get up a little bit earlier. And this goes for all of us. We should work our vacations around Sundays so that we can gather with the body of Christ wherever we are. If you have not done that, when you're on vacation and you go to another church and you gather with other Christians, it is an immense encouragement. It really is. And when you don't do that, you're missing out. You really are. So work your vacations around Sundays. If your boss says you have to work on Sundays, well, this is an opportunity to share your faith, isn't it? Tell him about your faith and your hope and why Sunday is significant to you. And then be a really good employee because you're toast after that. 
right? So, so if your family or your friends plan something on a Sunday, ask them to move the schedule so you can prioritize worship. I, there's tons of other practical tips that I could give you. If you need more, find someone who's wiser and more experienced at life than me. But here's the thing. What do we know about the future Sabbath day when Christ returns? We don't know what day it is, do we? We do not know the exact day of our blessed hope. We don't know what day that that will come. And yet that day is still our hope. And we as Christians, when you read the entire New Testament, you see again and again and again. We saw this in Thessalonians from Sandra's sermon a few weeks ago. Be ready for that day, right? Don't be caught off guard by that day because we know it's coming. We just don't know when it's coming. But I'll tell you what 99% of you do know. You know when Sunday is coming. There's a few of you don't. That's okay. But we know when Sunday is coming. It comes every week. It shouldn't surprise you. So every Sunday, let us consider how to stir one another. Whenever we're together, let's consider how to stir one another to love and to good works. And let's not neglect meeting together, but rather use this day, the Lord's day, to encourage one another. And all the more as that day, the final Sabbath day, draws near. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you have